Even if you're not an alcoholic or a drug addict, don't you want to know why people become alkies or drug addicts? You know someone. It's very prevalent. If you raise children, you need to know this. If you're an employer, you need to know this. This is really, really important. And if you did know, you'd be armed with all of the information you could ever possibly use to find help for anyone that you cared about. Anyone who's stuck in that vicious life cycle, or even for yourself. I'm making a video about this. It'll be up sometime next week, but I, I can't wait. So I'm doing this podcast on this subject. Over the next five minutes, you are going to have all of the information you'll ever need to see why you or anyone abuses or gets addicted to any substance or any behavior. This is the abridged version. I'm going to, uh, I'll talk more in depth about it on the video next week. But are you ready? You know, you won't hear this anywhere else. There's no uh, psychiatrist or counselor or psychologist or AA sponsor or doctor or not even a minister will tell you this. They might know some of it. Maybe. Not like this. They don't get this angle. But today, you will. Okay. Here's how it happened. You were born into this world, the fruit of a man and a woman, your parents. And there were things in this world that irritated you, made you angry, upset. It got under your skin. The world contains cruelties, injustices, unfairness, and that brutality got inside you in the form of a negative charge, resentment. And that force spun into an emotion inside you called anger. That's right, anger. It got inside you. And from there, all of your troubles sprang. Because you see, anger is not normal for humans. So once it gets inside you, once you're infected, there's an internal agony. You feel the discomfort. It hurts. You know why? The pain is to save you from the anger, because anger is judgment. Did you hear what I just said? Anger is judgment. It is playing God. Anytime you get angry, that's what's going on. We're not supposed to play God. There's only one. It's not you. And so our automatic spiritual governor kicks in. You're born with that. It's protection. It's called conscience. And it hurts. You feel pain for judging. You feel anxiety. Anxiety is trying to alert you, to stop you, to return you to your original anger-free state that you were born with, under God, to stop playing God. And if you would, then the anxiety would just go away. But you didn't. Instead, you discovered how certain substances, especially foods like sugars and alcohol, all make you feel better. Artificial relief, substances and behaviors, people-pleasing, sex, adventure, power, and of course, drinking, eating, drugging. <laughs> Nicotine, heroin, cocaine, Prozac, Xanax, Budweiser, whatever it is. These are all artificial anti-anxiety remedies, and they work. They do work. They're effective. They stimulate the reward circuitry in your brain and numb that discomfort. They help you cope with your agony. And so if you're an addict or an alky, what you've done is you've manipulated your body's own survival system to quash the anger, to hide the agony, to get relief, and you cannot stop 
Because if you do stop, you'll be forced to confront yourself, to face your God playing, to face the anger, the sin, if you have a religious bent, maybe you like that word, same thing. So you run from the normal fact-finding and fact-facing that everyone has to go through day by day, and you don't grow up. You don't experience the growth from childhood into adult that everyone has to experience. And so you continue to hate, to act the judge, play God, and without ever feeling bad enough to ever give it up, you stupid idiot. (laughs) Sorry. You can't live with the pain. You'd rather die. And so anesthetics, these pain relievers, pain opioids, that's what opioids are all about. It's not about overprescribing. It's not about finding funding for rehab facilities. It's not about big pharma. Opioid relief is an obsession to someone who's full of anger. Because obsessions are automatic. You do them compulsively. In other words, you can't stop. And if you do stop, the pain catches up to you. If you have a back pain or a surgery and receive hydrocodone, and you aren't right within, you're going to have problems getting off them. Breaking free of tolerance and withdrawal, is a, it's a piece of cake when you're free of anger. That isn't your surgeon's fault, jackass. How dare you blame others for your addiction to painkillers? Alcoholic, drug addict, you spend your life seeking escapes, pleasures, excitements. <laughs> Skydiving, yoga, sex, religion. These are all To you, they're all drugs. Thousands of activities, all abused. Some normal, some not so normal, but you go out of control with them. It's insanity. It sends you into a lifetime where you just, you commit yourself to making, doing anything to feel better than you deserve to feel because you feel so damn bad without it. Now you're an alcoholic. Now you're an obese diabetic. Now you're a relationship addicted sex fiend using people using relationships as amusement centers, ruining your chances for a normal family life. It's all about anger, resentment. That's where it all begins. And with foods, especially alcohol, there's an additional issue. At some point, once you've been abusing alcohol or sugars, either, they're both carbohydrates, with repeated use over and over again, over time, you lose the ability to process these foods properly. The body just snaps. You begin to crave them once any of it gets into your body. It's a weird craving phenomenon. Once you start, you can't stop. Diabetics know all about this. People who binge on haagen know this, but alcoholics especially. And alcoholics pose a very dramatic and urgent problem, you know, because, well, they crash cars. They kill innocent people. They cause economic loss. Billions of dollars every year. Drug addicts too, of course. How? Running from their God. But it is totally observable and predictable. Years ago, it was even theorized that this effect was maybe an allergy, which of course we know today it isn't. We can test for those things. We have that technology today. But still, it's a physical occurrence and very real. I've experienced it myself with both sugar and alcohol. I'm a recovered alcoholic, in case you didn't know. A long time ago. And once you start, you cannot stop. And then 
You can't not start because you're stuck in that anger obsession quandary. It's quite a predicament. All right. So there you are. Anger got into you, overwhelmed you with emotion. You became guilty for being angry. You puffed up into a selfishly self-centered prick and put out the fire with substances. And now you can't stop. You cannot withdraw because if you do, you'll discover what a, what a beast you've become. The pain comes flooding in and you have to put out that pain. Dan, you don't drink, right? No. You are... <laughs> I forgot how old you are. 21. <laughs> what? I almost forgot how old you are. You're 21 years old. Yeah. You're old enough to drink. Oh, yeah. Okay. So... I mean, people drink well drunk? before they're 21, of course, anyway. But... <gasps> no. Yes. My it first... happens. Do you, know when... Do you know how old I was when I had my first drink? Um, can I guess? Yeah. I thought you 12. should... <laughs> I think so. I, mean, I yeah. think um, probably. I think I was. Um, well, I had tasted alcohol, but as far as like going out with the intention of getting drunk, yeah. Um, and there are reasons why I did that, which maybe we'll get into. I don't know, but um, I think I was thirteen. I was in the eighth grade. I think I was in the eighth grade. <laughs> so how old was I? Um, eighth grade. Oh, well, I don't know. I think I was thirteen. Okay, I think so. Yeah, I couldn't, okay. I got drunk and um, I was, we were drinking uh, wine in a, out of a mayonnaise jar. It was homemade wine from uh, from uh, one of the local kids in the neighborhood, a friend of mine named Sal. And, uh, oh, his father made His father made alcohol? Yeah, his father made alcohol. Moonshine? Al- Italian moonshine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, this stuff was wicked. I mean, you, you would, you, you're half Italian. Yeah. So- because mom is Italian, mm-hmm. Sicilian, and Hungarian, and Russian. Yeah, so I'm I'm about a quarter Italian. Oh yeah, a quarter. Anyway, are we off on a tangent or not? Um, I was th- 13 years old when I first drank, and I couldn't wait to do it again. I got sick as a dog, and I couldn't wait to do it again because I was like, "Whoa, where's where's this stuff been my all my life?" It made me feel better than I had ever felt before. Yeah, you know. But anyway, you don't drink. No. And why is that? Uh, because uh, I don't want to be called a beast and a uh, selfish uh, idiot like you. <laughs> you just did. Because your father will yell at no. you? No. Okay. No, I'm kidding. No, what happens is, well, that's that's the point. It, it has to do with need. I don't, yeah, I don't need to. I don't need to. You don't need that's to. That's why I don't drink. Right. So people drink. And take drugs because they need it. There's something inside them being made. There's something, it's feeling a hollowness, and the hollowness is a pain. It's a painful hollowness, but it's it's guilt. It's guilt, and it always goes back to the anger. The answer I give to people, mm-hmm. here's the thing. When people ask, why don't I drink? Right. They assume that I have the choice, and they're right. I, I choose not to. Right. But they are also under the assumption that everybody else has the choice, too. Oh, I see. You know oh, what I mean? Yes, that's right. So I'm I'm to a point where I I don't need to drink. Right. So I can choose not to. You understand what I'm saying? I do. Because and, and my reason for choosing not to is because I understand the value of consciousness and being um aware of, of oneself and, and uh and I don't need the escapism, so there's no reason for me to drink. Right. But other people think that they have chosen to drink. 
They're not trying. No, they're far from that. Yeah. They are compulsively driven to it. They were originally driven to, because alcohol is a food. It's just another food. Right. I know they- Carbohydrate. It is a carbohydrate. Um, A lot of people think alcohol is a drug. It's not a drug. Rhetorically, it's a drug. Like, love is a drug, right? Or Sure. Knitting obsession, you know, acts as a drug. Yeah. But, uh, you know- Did you have experience with that? I have a knitting, knitting obsession. <laughs> you have a knitting obsession? No, I do okay. not have a knitting obsession. I don't have any obsessions, but certainly not knitting. Yeah, they, they do it compulsively. They cannot not drink. And an alcoholic, you know, they used to think it was an allergy. Uh, a lot of people get up. You know who gets upset with that allergy idea are people in AA. Yeah. They don't like to hear that it's not an allergy. I talk about AA a lot because I work with so many alcoholics. But they have, you know, there's in their big book. There's a there was a doctor named Doctor Silkworth who wrote a, a theory. He wrote a couple of letters in there. They were, you know, reference letters to yeah. help sell the book. Right. And in the front matter of the book, and in there he talked about he speculated on, you know, these alcoholics once they get any alcohol into their system, they can't stop. And there was a phenomenon. He called it a phenomenon of craving. Mm-hmm. It was a physical aspect. It wasn't mental. They just couldn't stop once they started. And you know, people who overeat, they know what that is. It happens to them with sugar. Yeah, right. Do you ever get a sugar craving? Yeah, once, sure. Once, yeah, if you have sugar, because we, we generally don't have added sugar in this house, right? No. So, but like if we have a, a birthday party and I sneak a little sugar into the cake, you know, along with a stevia or something, we feel it the next day. You feel, oh, I feel like more sweets or Maybe something. Maybe tired in the morning, hard to get up. Hangover. Yeah, sugar yeah. hangover. Sugar right. hangover. But it's the same thing. It's a food... And they get this this phenomenon of craving. That's very real. That's real. They, but it's not an allergy. They get very upset. So. Well, you don't see me shoving pollen up my nose. <laughs> right. You know. Right. Right. So, <laughs> I'm allergic to pollen. Yeah. Well, every everyone is to some. I know, extent. but my my point is that's a real allergy, and yeah, that's a real allergy. My symptom of <clears throat> my, my the symptom of the allergy is not my need to seek out more pollen. Right, you know what I mean. Right, it's but right, but it, but if you did, we'd have to lock you up somewhere. Yeah. Um. All right, so that's that talks about that. The uh, the thing that I mentioned also about the opioids because opioids is a very big subject right now, mm-hmm. right? Because uh, Donald yes. Trump is addressing it. We're gonna his you know, uh, initiative, right? Right, exactly. And um, you know, he's he is he's going. I mean, what, where what else he's going to do? He's going to get up there. He's not going to. Even if he knew what I'm talking about, can you do that as president? You can't get up and talk no. about everybody. Everybody, okay, we're going to have an anger initiative. <laughs> right. Thrown, they'd really impeach him um, if he started, you know, talking about that. No, he's got to. He's got to go with her. It's not about funding. It's not about uh, over prescribing. That's the big thing. Over prescribing. It's not. That's not what it is. Mm-hmm. Because if you were right, no one could over. <laughs> Look, you remember I had surgery, right? Uh, it was actually almost a year ago. Okay. Believe it or not, I had surgery on my shoulder. Right. I was actually at college then, which is why I don't remember uh, specifically when it happened. Right. Oh, you never came to visit me in the hospital. That's right. What? You you stayed overnight. Come yeah, on. Yeah, well. Was I there overnight? No, I, I don't, don't think I don't no. think you were. No, I wasn't. I came home the same day. Yeah. But anyway, I had shoulder surgery because uh, I had a I had a bone spur on one of my- Yeah, you had an impingement. An impingement, right. So they fixed that. And I will tell you, it hurt like hell. It hurt, man. It really hurt. And they gave me opioids, opioid drugs. I think it was hydrocodone. 
oxycodone or hydrocodone, one of those. You've never taken those, right? No. Okay. Never. Well, I will tell you, okay, when you because I work with a lot of drug addicts too. If you're addicted to that, we're talking like not just like popping a pill or two pills or ooh, we took four. You know what I mean? We're talking people who put mouthfuls of these tablets into their mouths, okay, 10, 12 at a time, and chew them. Chew them to 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 break them up to get the to get the because they're time release. Your, your mouth absorbs. Well, a lot of them are time release. Okay, so they have yeah. the they they're constructed. They're they're like little, they're like have little pockets of time release. Yeah, caplets sure. in them, and they break them apart to get them all released at the same time because they want the rush. And they they chew them. These people go through like 20, 30 of these tablets a day, chewing them this way in order to get the drug into them. Now. I take one. I'm supposed to take any. I forget what the prescription was. It was either one or two every four to six hours or something like that. Uh, me, I don't like pain, so I start off with the with with the top dosage. I right. take take two right away. When it's done, it's done. It's done. The pain comes back, but I switch over to ibuprofen, and there's no need for that drug. I will tell you that. You get that analgesic effect, but also at the same time, you get a certain sense of well-being in your psyche, a certain sense that all is well. Oh, I feel a little bit better. And what that is, is it's just a certain level of it. Now, if you have a lot of built up pain in you. Not physical pain. Not physical pain, but uh, psychic pain, anger, repressed anger. Why are you smiling? Psychic pain. <laughs> sounds like a wrestling move or something. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no. Not, not like clairvoyance. Yeah, I know. I know what you okay. mean. In the psyche. Yeah. Okay. I don't get much relief from that because I deal with my, I deal with the temptation to become angry on a regular basis. So I feel this pleasure sense, but it, it's not doing me any good. So when it goes away, I don't miss it. Right. You see? So you get this, oh, I feel a little- You don't become depressed. I don't become the right. I don't. I don't feel a relief of depression because I haven't got any depression. Right when you take them. Yeah, when I take them. So when the dosage goes down, the the only thing that makes me want to take more is wow, my shoulders starting to hurt. Yeah. So now, with if you are needing the opioids, if you, if there's something wrong with you, then you're going to want to continue it. You mean a mental, a psychic. Yeah, if you have okay. a psychic pain, you're going to want to continue to take that. And that is always going to be due to suppressed or repressed anger, resentment, judgment, playing God. That's painful. So let's say um, you have a sports injury or let's say you have a back injury. You have, a, I don't know, people have back disease, you know, disease. So, okay, so they go into the doctor. It's no fault of their own. Maybe it's an injury, car injury, right? That, that That's a totally legitimate reason to go in and go, go to a hospital and get pain relievers. Doctor sends you home with pain relievers. And you start taking them. A year later, you come, the guy's a full-blown opioid addict. Oh, they all prescribed me. I took blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, it started with pain. He's going into a rehab. That's not the doctor's fault. Yeah, you're, you're a victim of circumstances, right? You're a victim. That's what, well, that's what they claim. Exactly. Exactly. And you could look at the overprescription as a, as a symptom, as a societal <clears throat> symptom for the problems that these people have. Right. Because there wouldn't be over, people wouldn't be looking to be overprescribed. Right. That's correct. Unless they needed it. That is correct. So somebody's coming to meet that need, which is not good. Right. Really. But 
they didn't put that need there in the first place. No, they didn't put the need there. They didn't, they're serving The doctors it. didn't put it, but they are serving it. They are serving oh. Well, some of them are. Some of them are. Same, um... Not all of them. They're, not every doctor is bad. Come on. I think it's a little bit different, um, but when we talk about, uh, uh, depression medication... Right. That's just, in my opinion, a mistreatment completely, because you're not treating a physical wound at that point. You're, you're, uh... You're treating a mental problem in the first place, right? Well, those are diff- those drugs act a little bit differently. The pharmacology is a little bit different, and right. I'm not a pharmacist, so I can't explain it in actual terms that make me sound really intelligent. But just broadly speaking, and you can, you know, anyone can go look this up. But it's a totally different effect. The the antidepressants actually stimulate the pleasure centers in the brain, mm-hmm. the reward circuitry in the brain, and the the nucleus accumbens, and that gives you pleasure. So the pleasure overrides your your pain, your agony, whereas an opioid is different. That's not an, so much an anesthetic. That is an actual pain reducer. It reduces pain. It doesn't actually produce pleasure. It produces relief by reducing the pain. So, My point is I, I believe psychiatrists uh, who prescribe depression medication, antidepressants, deserve more scrutiny than uh, doctors prescribing opioids because opioids are, are actually useful. They're used to treat they're used to reduce the pain of a physical injury as it oh, heals. Absolutely. Whereas antidepressants are are just going in the wrong direction completely yeah. to treat the problem, yeah. to treat a mental problem. Right. Well, years ago when the doctors gave me antidepressants, right, I said, okay, I'll try it. And <laughs> I tried it and I didn't feel so bad after a while. Yeah. Because I had some issues at that time. You know, This was a long time ago. And- um I'll never forget the day that I said, okay, listen, um, I feel, you know, when can I start coming off these things? I guess it's worked. You know, I want to start taking them off. And she said, never. <laughs> I was shocked. Am I healed? I was no. I was taking them for like six months. And I'm like, when am I better? Yeah. Yeah. And I said, well, what, what do you mean? She said, no, you take them for the rest of your life. It blew me away. I had no idea. I never would have started them. Right. I never would have started them, you know? And I was like, oh, no. Okay. Um, anyway, do we have any questions that anyone has uh, written in for? Uh, yes, we do. Okay. Here's a question from George. George. Yes, George. It says, hi, Dan. Huge fan of your work. I try your meditations daily. They really help a lot, but sometimes I tend to struggle with focusing on my fingers tingling. It felt easy at first, but for some reason, it seems to get harder each time I try. All right. I'm going to interrupt you. Yeah, go ahead. If I may. I don't want to go too much into the mechanics of meditation, but- um, He's trying too hard. Right. It's supposed to be, it's going to be effortless if you're doing it correctly. Anyway, all right, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. There are times when I'm free from thoughts, but I still struggle with my fingers. Sometimes no feeling in them at all. Right. Um, do you notice the feeling of your fingertips? Do you have an image in your head of your fingers? I'm not sure the right way to do it. Also, sometimes I don't see lights. Sometimes there are, sometimes nothing. Uh, okay. I want right, your right, advice. Right, right. That's enough. That's enough. Well, that's it. That's the end. Okay. He he's trying too hard. A fellow like that. If any if anyone has a problem like that, they need to get, they need to get a hold of me privately. Right. Okay. Uh, not seeing lights inside your head is not good. <laughs> I don't mean if George, if you're listening, I don't mean to frighten you, but uh, you need to get a hold of me. Okay. That's not good. And you all you're doing is trying too hard. And although. You know what it could be? Anyone that tries this, they need to listen to the pre-talk ahead of time. 
okay, because I give the directions. It sounds like he might be trying too hard and not following the directions exactly. In case um, anybody listening doesn't understand, my father has a meditation um, available, non-contemplative meditation. It's on SoundCloud. Uh, so that's what George is talking about right, right now. Right, right. I don't want to go into it too too deeply. People can just go find out on their own. Yeah. So are there any more? Okay, another question. Yep. This is a good one. This is from Josh. Okay. He says, uh, hi, Dan, nearly finished your book. It's incredible and has changed my life. He's a good man, Josh. <laughs> I feel like I need to start again the second I finish. Would that be ideal? Would that benefit me? <laughs> what? He wants to read it again. No. No, only if you buy a second copy and read the second copy. Yes. As a matter of fact, buy three or four copies and read it three or four times, you'll become more spiritual. Yes. Or you'll reach a level of uh, spiritual you'll enlightenment. Levels, right. Well, that's right. You'll we level up. You'll level up. Ah, there we go. What? Leveling up. We could level up. We make this like a video game. And you know what? We can have the people read the book once, right? And when they feel the urge to read the book twice the second time around, okay, that's what we'll email them and we'll invite them to a weekend retreat where they will run across broken glass and I will cheer them on and they'll pay thousands of dollars for this. Okay. We'll become fabulously wealthy. Is this good? No. Um, no, I, I'll tell you, Josh, you don't have to read it again. <clears throat> you don't have to read it again. Um, as a matter of fact, the best way to read the book really is, yeah, people like to read it from beginning to end. They feel because they feel like they're absorbing something. They feel like they're learning something. Right. And to a certain extent, that's true. Their intellect is absorbing, but you're supposed to be, uh, practicing consciousness at the same time. And then the book has a whole different meaning to you. So hopefully, if someone reads the book, what, what is the first time someone goes through the book? Typically, they're they may they may not, or may or may not be practicing non contemplative meditation, so they're not going to get a lot of it. And once they start, though, the best way is not to read the book over again, but the sections that they do read. It's it's better just to sort of go through and just sort of cherry pick here and there, and just read, just pick up, just pick it up randomly. Read a paragraph here, read a line okay. there, and that works. And now, and then it has a whole different meaning once you start waking up. So it, that's the best way to read it the second time is not to read it the second time. Just you know, just sort of keep it by your bedside. Um, he also wants to know if your first book, Real Meditation for Real Alcoholics, he wants to know if it is strictly for alcoholics or if it can help anyone. Will help addicts. Too. Well, will help anyone. But what happens is the anyone in people. We'll, re- we'll say, well, you're not an alcoholic. That's not for you. And we'll reject it. So you'll find an excuse not to read it. Exactly. You'll find an excuse. Or something will give you an excuse, I guess. Right. We don't want to go into that. So, But if you're an alcoholic, yeah, you'll you'll love it. You'll absolutely love it. Right. If, if you're an addict, you'll absolutely love it too. Okay. And next question, last question from Amy. She says, uh, hi, Dan. I recently listened to your meditations available online. I listen day and night. As you tell everyone to on the audios. From the moment she wakes up in the morning to the time she goes to bed at as night. As you tell them. <laughs> <Does she? laughs> no. No. She means you. she listens when she gets up. Oh, I see. And then she listens once Ho- before bed. Hopefully. Yes. You d- it's in the morning when you wake up and before you go to bed at night. Yeah. Um, it has put a positive impact on my life. Um, even after trying it for a month, she feels a difference. I feel more alive. I bought the book. I'm pretty much 70 pages in. I notice it mentions God a lot. The problem is I'm not very religious. I mean, I don't say that it's all a lie or God doesn't exist. I'm not that sort of person. 
who would put people down so she, for their beliefs. Uh, is she an, she's not an atheist. Is she agnostic? She sounds agnostic. She sounds like she hasn't uh, thought about it a lot, maybe. Right. She's not the type to put people down for their beliefs. Uh, I'm open to the idea. I'm just not a true believer, super religious. I'm on the fence with it pretty much. She doesn't want to hurt my feelings. Are your methods open to non-religious people? When I listen or read your meditation, yes. or when I listen or read when you mention God, I don't disagree or anything. I just kind of go with it. Yeah. Well, obviously, I hope. Well, it sounds like she's not offended by the word God. Um, it's God consciousness. It's, but I don't use. I try not to use the word God all the time. But it's, but it's about God. It's God consciousness. If you don't like God, you're not going to like this book. Um, right. But if you are looking to find where to discover where to find God and to go within and find Him, then you'll love the book. Um, but I use also the term intuitive consciousness because all intuition comes from God. So I use the terms interchangeably. I think Amy, is that the name, Amy? Amy. Uh, Amy might be confusing religion with God. They're not one and the same. The religion's supposed to lead you to God so that you don't need the religion anymore because you've got God now. And I think that's what happens. It's a cultural thing. Yeah. Well, she uh, her, her last question is, would I have to go all out? She says all out. And I think she means, does she have to... Um, basically commit her life to, no. to I guess, Christianity or no. some religion. No, no, she shouldn't. As a matter of fact, when you, you shouldn't believe anything that you read in my book. <laughs> but don't disbelieve it either. If you're meditating properly, you're reading it from a complete objective viewpoint. You can see the truth and see see what's. I believe true. that if she there's nothing not true. Continues meditating, she will discover for herself that there is a God. Yeah, don't don't listen to me. Discover everything for yourself. That's what I think will happen. She can figure it out. Um, and if she keeps meditating, I think she will. And Perhaps. she says it's helping her, so that's good. Yeah, that's good. People usually get help right away, not from the not from the book. See, what happens is she's reading the book, and people get the intellectual help, and they go, "Oh, that makes sense," but it doesn't become internalized until you start to stop listening to it and just open up and let consciousness just take over. Yeah. And then you're, you, you receive your discipline from a higher power. Yeah. Okay. So those are all the, uh, book slash meditation questions we have. Okay, good. I um, I get those over with. Good. Okay. So that's not it. I don't like to talk about it, about the book, but other, you know, I don't, this podcast is not supposed to be about selling books. It's supposed to be about being helpful. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. So that's it for now. Okay, that's it for now. Or and it's not supposed to be about um necessarily helping people with their meditation techniques or anything either. No, no, don't don't write me about that. If you have a personal uh question about that, you can definitely message my dad on Facebook or or something like that. He's always happy to answer those. Yeah. I don't people you know, I don't want to be talking on, on the air on I don't want to be talking on the podcast about visions and all of these things that people <laughs> have when they're meditating. Yeah. It scares other it's people. It's a very personal thing. Too. It's a very personal thing. They do happen, though. But anyway, all right, so that's it for today. Uh, join us again next time. If you want to ask a question, you can go to schwarzhoffmedia.com slash podcast, and there's a box there where you can uh, submit a question, and we will. I'll read it on the podcast, and my father will answer it. Yes, I will. And if you go to the website, uh, the regular... Schwarzhoffmedia.com. Schwarzhoffmedia.com. There's lots of free stuff there, videos, articles. Uh, Just non- Google Schwarzhoffmedia. You'll find it. Schwarzhoffmedia. The... Um, the non-contemplative meditation that that we're just talking about is there. It's all no charge. And subscribe to this podcast. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. 
and you'll get it regularly. SoundCloud. And thanks for listening. Tune in. And this has been episode <laughs> and this has been episode number five. Join us again next time. <laughs>